Hasn't our choir done a wonderful job today leading us in the worship? Amen. Yes, give them a hand. Thank them for it. Amen. Well, you all look so good. Even my daddy looks good today. Amen. I don't know if that was peavy power or if you were shaking your fist at me. I don't know what, what, what was going on. Amen. And my mother always looks good. I take after my mother. I don't know if y'all are aware of that or not. Amen. At least I did till I got so fat. Starting to look a little bit more like daddy. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles today to John chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 21. John chapter 20 and verses 1 through 21. Before I read my text today, I'm going to break with uh, my norm. I, preachers kind of get into, uh, I guess, a, a procedure that they kind of always follow. I, I tend to read the scripture, announce my topic, pray, and then get, get on with it. I'm going to announce my topic first today. It's called The Wake. And I want to go ahead and define for you <coughs> that term before we get into the message today. Uh, there may be more, but I'm dealing primarily with, with three uses of that word, wake. One, uh, how many deep sea fishermen do we have that's ever gone? Anybody ever gone deep sea fishing? Uh, they're the ones that look slightly green <laughs> today. The, the, a wake is that wave that spreads you know, behind a boat or a ship as it moves forward. And of course, in... in colloquial language, it means the consequence, the aftermath, the result of something. For instance, somebody might use it to describe uh, in the wake of 9-11, security at the airports has increased in the wake of 9-11. Wake can also mean to emerge or cause to emerge from a state of sleep or to stop sleeping and therefore it can be used of becoming aware or alert to something or to cause something to stir or come to life. And then awake is also used uh, in, uh, especially among the Irish as a way to watch or have a vigil beside the bed of someone who has, has died. It's sometimes accompanied by ritual observances and for eating and drinking. Uh, Irish call it the wake. South Georgia rednecks call it sitting up with the dead, is what we call it. But all of those are definitions of the word wake, and we're going to be dealing with that today. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb, so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came 
<coughs> following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded uh, together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And she wept. Uh, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the, at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you carried, have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, that is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brethren and say, or but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you, as the Father hath sent me, I also send you. I'm going to speak this morning on the subject, the wake. Let's pray. Father, in the precious name of your son Jesus, we ask that you would add your anointing. Lord, that, that is your special presence to the teaching and preaching of your word today. God, help us experience, Lord, the resurrection power of Jesus in and through your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you give the Lord one more hand for his word today? <clears throat> they all walked away. There was nothing to say. They had just lost their dearest friend. All that he had said, and now he was dead. So this was the way that it would end. The dreams that they had dreamed were not what they seemed now that he was dead and gone. The garden, the jail, the hammer, the nail, how could a night be so long? That must have been how the apostles felt that evening. That must have aptly described their emotion as they came back to that same upper room. Moments ago, we celebrated communion. They went back to that same place where they had celebrated that last supper with him. But this time, they had barred the door from the inside. They were fearful of the Jews. They were afraid they would be dragged away 
and crucified as well or stoned or imprisoned. And then out of their fear, they had locked the door. And I think that they proceeded to have a wake for Jesus. I think they had a memorial service, kind of an impromptu funeral for him. I think that they sat around and began to talk about the good old days. When my grandfather passed away several years ago, Alvin, I see you about there, and you were so kind to my grandmother and to our family. And Nana, Papa had been over at the nursing home and had just begged and begged and begged to go home. And of course, he, he had Alzheimer's. You couldn't reason with him. You couldn't explain to him. He just begged to go home. And Nana was so disheartened because he never had the opportunity to go home. And so she asked Alvin, can I take him home? And they were so kind to take Papa home and set him up there in the living room there. And we gathered around for a couple of hours, just the family gathered around and laughed and talked and told stories about Papa. Papa was a very comical man, and about 75% of the time he meant to be, and then about 25% of the time he was serious, but it was still funny. I remember that when Papa finally went into the nursing home, he had a spell at home. He had fallen. He didn't know he was in the world. He was trembling and shaking. He was having a panic attack. Uh, he couldn't tell us his birthday. He couldn't tell us what day it was, any of that kind of thing. We got him up, tried to take him to the hospital. And Papa had always been fairly conservative with a dollar. And uh, so in the middle of all of that, when we started to leave, he had a brief moment of clarity. He's shaking. He doesn't know what's going on. Then he stops and he says, Brick, catch that light for me, if you will. Turn that light off. We sat around and told those kinds of things, and I remember that Rickinsons had set on each side of the casket, they had set those beautiful lamps that they had. And I can't, uh, I can't uh, promise on a stack of Bibles, but I thought I saw Papa's finger move a little bit and say, would you cut off those lamps? They're using electricity. I wonder if that was the kind of atmosphere that they had in that upper room. A walk down memory lane. I, I wonder if, you know, Peter uh, spoke up and said, Hey, 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 do you remember that time when there was that crowd on the mountain and they hadn't eaten in a long time and Jesus took a little boy's lunch, five loaves and, and a couple of fish and began to divide those up and he fed about 15,000 people? I wonder if Andrew spoke up and said, Yeah, yeah, hey, you remember that time that we were... Uh, on, the, on the boat on the Sea of Galilee and it looked like we were going to sink and Jesus came walking over the top of the water. Peter, you remember that? You tried to get out and walk to him and then you lost your nerve and started to sink. You remember that? I wonder if somebody said, hey, that's nothing. You remember when Jesus was on the ship with us and was asleep? And we woke him up. We were so scared. We knew we were going to die. And he just said, peace be still. And suddenly the storm was calm. Somebody else said, yeah, hey, you remember when we were walking through Jericho and old Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus opened his blinded eyes. Look at how many stories they went through at that time. 
trying to console one another, trying to comfort one another. And you know how it is when you've lost a loved one. There's laughter and joy that accompanies those memories. And then there's the gut-wrenching uh, uh, realization that they're gone and it's over. And you'll never experience those things again. And it's a, it's a bittersweet moment. There's laughter and there's tears. I wonder if those disciples, apostles locked in that room were having a wake for Jesus. In fact, they were so caught up in their grief and in their fear, they did not believe the women that came back to them and said, we saw him. Now men, we get into trouble when we don't believe the women in our lives, don't we? In fact, two of their own had been walking to Emmaus and they saw him and Jesus took him, broke the bread and fed them. And when they came back, they didn't believe them. They were so caught up in their grief, they did not believe that. Maybe they had forgotten about a few things. Maybe they had forgotten about whenever Jesus came to Capernaum that Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, had come and said, come heal my daughter, she's sick. But by the time Jesus got there, she was already dead. And Jesus just whispered to her, Talitha kumai, which means damsel or my little lamb arise. Maybe they didn't remember when he was walking through Nain and there was a widow there that was going weeping behind uh, the uh, funeral bear as they were carrying that boy to the, to the cemetery and Jesus just walked up and touched it and that son of that widow came back to life. Maybe they didn't think about or remember when Jesus stood right over in, in Bethany at the tomb of his best friend Lazarus and thundered and said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came up out of the grave. If they had forgotten the things that he did, they certainly didn't remember the things he said. John chapter 2 verse 19 he said this, If you destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it again. In Matthew 12 40 he said just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. But just like Jonah came up out of the whale, I'll come up out of the grave. Maybe Matthew 16 21 didn't occur to them at that time because Jesus began to show them he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer many things, and he was going to be killed, but he was going to be raised the third day. Maybe it didn't occur to them what John recorded in John 10, 17, and 18. He said, My Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. In fact, do you know that Jesus' enemies believed more in the resurrection than his friends did? Because in Matthew 27, verse 62 through 64, it says that after Jesus died, that the chief priest and the Pharisees remembered that he said, I'll rise in three days. And so they asked that the tomb be sealed and a guard be put in front of the door. And they said, well, maybe they'll try to come and steal him away and deceive us. But I think they had a sinking suspicion that maybe they had just crucified the Son of God. So his enemies sealed the tomb. But his friends sealed themselves in a room. And they sat around 
talking about the good old days, traipsing down memory lane. Here's the thing about it. You cannot have a relationship with a dead man. All that you can have with the dead is a remembrance, but you can't have a relationship. And while they're sitting around talking about the good old days, Jesus appears right through the wall in the midst of them and says, peace to you. Isn't it silly to have a wake for somebody who is awake? Isn't it silly to have a funeral for someone who is alive? In fact, Jesus ruined every funeral he ever attended. He kept raising the guest of honor. You know, he didn't have any decorum, any dignity to him. I mean, people had spent money to put out a spread. They would hire in that day. If they didn't weep enough and mourn enough, they had hired professional mourners to do it for them. All of that money wasted because Jesus kept raising the dead guy up. And so Jesus now crashes his own wake. Now before we judge them too harshly, can I tell you I've heard a lot of gospel songs that sounded like funeral marches. Can I tell you I've been in a lot of worship services that seemed like a dirge. Can I tell you I have listened to many a sermon that sounded like a eulogy. That we talk about who he was. That we talk about what he did. Remember when he used to. There was a young pastor that saw the need to make some changes in the church that he was pastoring to reach, you know, sinners for the Lord. And there was an old deacon there that didn't like changes. He didn't like what he was doing. He didn't like what was going on. And so frustrated, he went to the pastor and he said, You know, pastor, if Jesus were alive today, he'd be appalled at what you're doing to this church. And I wonder if that's the way some people feel. If that's the relationship, if that's the religion that some people have. If Jesus were alive today, he would not like what's going on. If Jesus were alive today, can I tell you I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today and I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy and I hear his voice of cheer and just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me all along the way. He lives, he lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. I love the historical Jesus, but I'm more interested in the living Lord. I love and I'm grateful for all that he did. And I believe it to the core of my being that what this book records about him is true. I believe everything it records about him is true and I believe there's a lot that he did that you didn't have enough books in the world to record. And I'm grateful for what he did but I am more interested in what he is doing. He's a living Savior. Martin Luther, the German monk that in the 1500s 
led the Protestant Reformation after he had split with the Catholic Church and he and the former nun had married Catherine Cady he called her he got discouraged people had talked about him under threat of the imprisonment threat of his life he was moping around and like preachers wives are apt to do they use a great subtle blend of wisdom and sarcasm and Katie said Martin I'm so sorry that your God has died and he got mad he said what are you talking about Katie you know God is alive she said well stop acting like he died then I wonder how many of us in our relationship is all about the remembrance of who Jesus was instead of who Jesus is. Easter is not simply about the historical fact of the resurrection, although that is a foundation stone of our faith. But it's not simply about remembering that he rose from the dead, but celebrating that he is alive and alive forevermore and he lives. To wake also means to emerge or to cause to emerge from a state of sleep, to become alert or aware of something, to be stirred from the dead. Jesus understood that. Remember I talked about Jairus' daughter when he got there and they were weeping and crying and said, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead. Jesus said, no. She's only asleep. And they laughed him to derision. Jesus said about Lazarus when he sat down, when he heard Lazarus was sick and waited till he was good and dead, he said to his disciples, Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to wake him up. And they said, well, you know, if he's sick and he's sleeping, it's good that he's getting a nap. He finally had to say, he's dead. Can I tell you that God has a long history of waking up the dead and Jesus did not worry about hanging his head on the cross and giving it over to the Father and saying into thy hands I commit my spirit because he had left a wake up call. And early on Sunday morning toward the breaking of the day the heavenly father reached down into that tomb and pulled him up. As if to say to the chief priests, to the Pharisees, to the Romans, to the critics, to the demons, to the devil himself, now what do you think about it? You know, the Jews even to this day, Orthodox Jews have a hard time understanding in Isaiah how that the Messiah can be both a king and a suffering servant. And they really struggle when they read he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. There was no beauty that we should desire him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was, was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And they say that's what happens to God's servant. But that's only a temporary condition. On Sunday, God vindicated who he was. 
God still wakes people up out of the sleep of sin like snow white. We had taken a bite out of the wrong apple. <laughs> and we lay in the sleep of sin, the death of sin, until our priest Jarman came and kissed us with his grace and rose us up from the dead. Ephesians 5.14, Awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. And then there's the sleep of complacency. Even Christians can nod off. We talked a few weeks ago that the Satan, Satan can sing a great lullaby. But isn't it interesting that when we talk about a revival, we call it a, an awakening? He still wakes people up. And then there's the sleep of death. I love this. I hope the Lord understands how much I love this. But a few years ago, I was over at the First United Methodist Church at one of the Holy Week services, and I happened to pass by their nursery. And on their nursery, they had a sign, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Romans 8, 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give, give life to your mortal bodies through who His Spirit dwells in you. Can I tell you that one of these days, the graves are going to burst open and the dead in Christ are going to rise. And if we're alive when that happens, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to transform our mortal bodies. Now sometimes people wonder about the resurrection of the dead. They say, well, how, how in the world if it's they've decayed and gone back to dust, if they were lost at sea and they were eaten by a shark, how in the world if they were burned in a fire, cremated, how in the world is their body going to come back? Well, I reckon if he can create the human body out of the dust of the earth to start off with, he don't have no problem doing it one more time. And he gives us a resurrected body. Yes, it's true that if we pass away in the faith, our spirits go to be with the Lord, but the Lord still has plans for this body. Only it won't be this body, it'll be There'll be an upgrade. It'll be Brit 2.0. He'll be more slender. And his face will look about the same. Why mess with perfection? There's a popular term that's being used in political circles right now. It's called woke. It actually all goes all the way back to 1962. There was an article in the New York Times that says, if you're woke, you dig it. And unfortunately, the, the left have, has kind of co-opted that term. It means that if you agree with certain policies, it, it actually meant if you're awake to social issues and social justice and that kind of stuff, but now it has come to mean a co-opted term that means if you agree with certain policies, you're woke. Listen, I'm not asking you if you're politically woke or if you're socially woke, but I am asking you, are you spiritually woke? Does the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead abide in you? 
Does the Holy Ghost of God abide in you? Are you living in the newness of life? Romans 6 and 4 says this, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. There are some people that think that the Christian life needs an adherence to certain guidelines. They mean that it's a mental ascent or even trying to pattern our lives by certain rules and regulations that makes us quote unquote Christians. But here's what being a Christian is. It is I was dead in sin and now I'm alive unto God because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has awakened me and I'm woke. I'm alive by the presence of God. You know when the rapture takes place and the dead in Christ rise first and we that are alive and remain are changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. When the rapture takes place, did you know that ought not to be much of a stretch for Christians? That ought not to be much of a change. That ought to just be our outside catching up with our inside. It's not like for Christians when the rapture takes place that some foreign power is going to transform us. It's the same resurrected Spirit of God that lives within us. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ who is our life appears, then also will you appear with Him in glory. Are you woke? Now, this might surprise you, but I'm not that interested in getting people to be more religious. I'm interested in seeing people woke, alive to God. Does that change the way we live, the way we think, the way we act? Yeah, absolutely. When you're a new creature, you have new motives. That gives new actions. So woke or the wake can mean that setting up with the dead. It can mean the act of of stirring out of sleep. But it also means that that big, huge movement of water when a huge ship or boat comes by. Colloquially means the consequence, the aftermath, the result. You see, the Roman Empire didn't want any ripples on the water. The Jewish leaders liked the system they had in place. They didn't want anybody to rock the boat. But I'm going to tell you that the game changer was when Jesus got up out of the tomb victorious over death and hell. And everything changed in the wake of his resurrection. Even today, People don't like it. You know, we're living increasingly in a time where you and I are seen as the enemy of the state or the enemy of those that are uh, progressive. There's a lot of people think we're the problem in this world. 
and they don't mind us so bad if we believe what we believe and say what we say as long as we do it in here. But when the ripple effects of the resurrection power gets a hold of a man or a woman or a people of God, they say, be quiet, be still, don't rock the boat. There may be people in here today, and I don't want to be unkind, I just want to be truthful. There may be people in here today, and we're so glad that you came, but maybe you came at, at the invitation of a loved one, or we're glad, for whatever reason you came, we're glad you came, but you're not comfortable being around it too much. Don't want to get too involved, it makes me uncomfortable, it puts ripples in the water, rocks my boat. We had a young man that a few years ago came to church with us for several months and one day the Spirit of God was here in a mighty way and tears started flowing down his eyes and he came to the altar. And when he left that day, as far as I know, probably the last time he's been here, he said, I, I don't like being out of control. People don't want any ripples on the water. They don't want it to rock the boat. But I'm going to tell you, God's not left that choice to us. The resurrection of Jesus is a fact and a living reality with which we have to contend. To ignore it is to deny it. To ignore it is to reject it. But either way, it's rocked the boat. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, Jesus my Lord, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Savior, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Savior, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they sealed the dead. Jesus my Savior, Jesus my Lord. Death could not hold its prey. Jesus my Savior, Jesus my Lord. He tore the bars away. Jesus my Savior, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with the saints to reign, he arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And what a mighty wake he left. What a mighty ripple effect. In fact, when that big ship goes by, you ever been out there on the ocean on the boat and that big ship comes by and you start rocking and rolling? And then if you're right in the wake of it, it creates an undercurrent. I'm going to tell you, sometimes the wake of the resurrection gets to moving and I feel like I'm about to get sucked into the undertow. How about you? It moves me. It's like the aftermath of an earthquake. There was an earthquake, you know, when Jesus died and said it is finished. There was an earthquake on that Sunday morning when he arose. There was an earthquake in 2004 a 9.1 magnitude in Sumatra. It, it was such a huge earthquake 
that it literally shortened the length of the day. Now, it was only by 6.8 milliseconds. So you probably don't have to reset your clock. But it actually moved the earth off of its figure axis by about three inches. It was world-shaking. I want you to know when Jesus arose, it opened heaven. When Jesus arose, it closed the gates of hell. In fact, Ephesians 4, 8, 9 through 10 says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first ascended into the lower parts of the earth. He who ascended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Matthew 27, starting in 52. And the graves were opened, and many of the body of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 54 through 57. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. John 11, 25, 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of this is in the wake. It's the aftermath, the aftershock, the ripple effect, the consequence of the resurrection. 1964, on March the 28th, in the uh, Prince William Sound in Alaska, there was an earthquake that took place. It only lasted for about three minutes. But the ripple effect traveled 3,000 miles to Hawaii. And a giant tsunami wave hit Hawaii. I want you to know that when Jesus came out of that grave, that aftershock traveled around the world. And it traveled down through the years. 2,000 years later, we still feel the effect, the wake of the resurrection. Now, I've told this story many times to many people, but it's personal to me about the weight, the effect, the consequence of the resurrection. My oldest brother, Travis, as some of you have heard me tell, my oldest brother, Travis, raised in a Christian home, but the church that we attended at the time was kind of hard, harsh, legalistic, and he never felt he could measure up. So when he saw he just couldn't measure up, he'd just quit. So if I'm going to be miserable, might as well be having some fun. <laughs> so he went off to college and he got away from God. Now sometimes I'll tell Travis, Travis, I used your testimony. And he said, how come you and Barry always talk about the bad stuff I did instead of what y'all did? I said, because we're not idiots. Well, Barry is, but that's another story. And he's doing a lot of things he shouldn't do, going places he shouldn't go. Mom and Daddy were back home praying. Mama one day went in 
to his room and knelt by his bed and prayed, wept and prayed. There was a just a real spirit, heavy burden of prayer that came on her, prayed, prayed, cried. She went to get up and she felt a hand, no one in the room, but she felt the pressure of a hand pushing her back down on her knees. She prayed and cried some more, prayed and cried some more, prayed and cried some more. Three times she felt the Lord push her back down. The last time I was in Israel, I was there with Travis and I asked him to give his testimony at the garden tomb. He talked about how off at college he would lay there at night. This has been a while now because he had, an, he had a portable eight-track player. And it was an eight-track of, of the southern gospel group, the Henson family. And he would turn it down real low and put it up to his ear so his roommate on the bottom bunk couldn't hear it. And he'd hear those gospel songs and the convicting power of God's Spirit would deal with him about his lifestyle and he would cry himself to sleep night after night after night. As Travis was standing there at the garden tomb retelling this, tears falling from his eyes. He's a big guy. Just crying and weeping and trembling under it. That summer when he came home from college, he went to one of our state church state meetings. And a friend of his was up singing a song. And God's grace appeared to him. And on July the 4th, 1981 became his Independence Day. And Jesus became real to him. I'm not saying what Travis did, everybody has to do. I, I don't believe that. But for him, he thought, I, I can't withstand the temptation of that atmosphere. So I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than a football career. His college coach at that time drove down six hours from Greenville, South Carolina and pled with him in our living room. Travis, if you come back to stay healthy, you'll go, go pro. But he could not go back. He had not been back to the campus of that university, Furman University, had not been back to that campus in 20 years. And his teenage son, Matt, was going to attend a quarterback camp there. And as they are, they'd been listening to the Braves on the radio, but they lost the signal, and as they were turning on the road to go to Furman University, where he had given up his scholarship, as they were Scanning through the radio stations, the radio station landed on the song that was being sung 20 years before that convicted his heart. You know what the song was? 
He's alive. He's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. And standing there in front of that empty tomb, I saw my big brother once again get caught up in the wake of the resurrection. So, Christian friend, brother, sister, if people say, why in the world do you go to church? If they say, how come you get so emotional about somebody that lived 2,000 years ago? What, what makes you lift your hands and hoop and holler and shout and dance? Why, why in the world would it move you to tears? You just look at them and say, because. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all of my fear is gone. Because I know, I know he holds my future. And my life is worth the living. Because he lives. Would you stand across the building today? You bow your heads, close your eyes. Christians are praying, Father, Lord, I've tried today. to relate what it means to know you personally. God, I don't know that I can properly explain it to someone that hasn't experienced it. But the most important fulfilling relationship in my life is not with my children no matter how much I love them it's not with my wife though so beautiful and kind and such a blessing to my life It's with a living Savior who walks with me and talks with me and reminds me that I belong to Him and He belongs to me. God, it's my prayer for everyone here that they would have that experience and relationship with you.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.